The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. Well, happy Father's Day to all of the fathers. It's Father's Day, so there's only one rule. Oh, by the way, Anne, incidentally, the men didn't graciously let the children win. They legitimately won. David Hilvagin told me that he nearly busted muscles to defeat those kids, and they were just too strong. So the kids legitimately won. So there you go. It wasn't just graciousness. It was uh, fair enough. Okay. Just one, it's Father's Day, so there's only just one rule, okay? Here, here's the one rule for Father's Day. You've got to laugh at all the dad jokes. That's the only rule, okay? So at lunchtime today, the dads, go for the dad jokes. And, um, and so what I'm going to do is just give you a bit of a warm-up session with some dad jokes, okay? You ready? And the rule is, son-in-law, you have to laugh. Is that okay? <laughs> okay. I deleted all the phone numbers of all the Germans that I know from my mobile phone, and now I'm hands-free. <laughs> last, night, last night, Anne and I watched three, v- three DVDs back-to-back. Luckily, I was the one facing the TV. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's a good, here's a good dad joke. Uh, what do you call a group of killer whales playing instruments? An orchestra. <laughs> where's, uh, where's Phil Burner when you need him? Uh, why was the big cat disqualified from the race? Because he was a cheater. <laughs> aren't these great dad jokes? <laughs> ben, you're loving this, aren't you, mate? I can tell. Okay. Conjunctivitis.com. Now, that's a site for sore eyes. <laughs> Velcro. What a ripoff. <laughs> I'm reading a book on the history of glue. Can't put it down. <laughs> Do you like that one, Ben? <laughs> uh, why did the scarecrow win an award? Because he was outstanding in his field. Oh. Uh, okay, this is for all the kids here, okay? How do you make a hanky dance? Put a little boogie in it. <laughs> Uh, uh, no, we can't finish on that, okay. Uh, and this is the classic one that all dads do. Dad, I'm hungry. Hello, hungry, I'm dad. Okay, that is the classic one. That is the classic one. Okay, that's it for um, dad jokes. Done. So what's the rule on Father's Day? You've got to laugh at your dad jokes. Matter of fact, we used to have a rule at home at the dinner table that anybody that told a joke, we had to laugh at it. That was the joke. Sorry? We just laughed anyway. That was the rule. Wow. Well, Father's Day. Father's Day. My, my dad actually passed away in 1997. He, uh, 9th of October, 1997, he went to be with the Lord. 
And, um, and one of the things that my father-in-law said to me when my father passed away, he said, John, I'll be your dad for you. And, uh, and he has been. He's been a great dad, and it's wonderful to have my father-in-law here today. Give my father-in-law a very good welcome on Father's Day. But most of you never met my dad. Um, he only came to this church once, and that was at the opening in uh, 1997. And so he died a few weeks after the opening of the church. But I, I thought I'd show you two photos of my dad. This, this is, first one was when I was born. So this is 1959. So that's my dad and my mum. So uh, they were young once. <laughs> and so are all of us. I was young once as well. Matter of fact, when that photo was taken, I was a brand new baby. And, um, and then this is the last photo ever taken of my dad. That was actually taken on the night that he passed away. So, um, so we had a family that were visiting that night. And um, this is the little girl that belonged to that family. And um, they just took the photo. And uh, within a few minutes of that photo taken, uh, my dad went to be with the Lord. He had a massive aneurysm and just died in his bed. Just went, they, they prayed together and dad was just praying for the family, praying for mum, praying for everybody and went to bed, laid on his bed, had massive heart attack and just went to be with the Lord immediately. And, um, but you know, the thing is this, that we all get to live for a season, and then we're remembered by the legacy that we leave behind. And so you've just got to work out what sort of a legacy are you going to leave behind. And Matt Cross, you're a young man, but already leaving an incredible right. legacy. Right. And uh, my attitude is Matt's one of the great role models in our church. And if all the men in our church could be like Matt Cross, I'd be the happiest pastor on the planet. And what an incredible, what an incredible thing to say, though, and say it from your heart. And, and I mean that. But what, what's the legacy that we're leaving behind? Because the legacy that we leave behind goes beyond our life. And so I want to talk to you this morning about the three things that Dad taught me, the three R's. So he didn't teach me reading, writing, arithmetic. He taught me another three R's. Let, let me share with you the three R's that Dad taught me. The first R is respect. Dad taught me respect. Dad taught me how to respect. And can I just say to you that respect is connected to humility. And so it's easy to respect when you're humble. It's hard to respect when you're arrogant. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 6, talks about God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then the next verse says, <clears throat> put, put the next verse up, verse 6. It says, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time. And so humility is just such an incredible ingredient to have in life because humility causes you to be respectful. And, and so dad was incredibly respectful of God and respectful of people. So he taught me to respect God and he taught me to respect people. And one of the great ways that he respected God was just, just the whole respect for Sunday. So Sunday, first day of the week, 
it was the Lord's Day. It's like, this is the first day of the week. Let's dedicate it to God. But there's lots of other things to do. Yes, there's lots of other things to do, but you always find time for what you respect. It's an amazing thing that you always find time for what you respect. And so Anne and I, in separate households, because both our fathers held this as a priority, for us, Sunday was always the Lord's Day. We, we can't ever remember ever having something else on a Sunday. It was always church because that was the first. We used to do stuff after church, but not in church. And, and get hold of it. In those days, the kids went to church the most. So in those, we're talking in the 60s, the kids had Sunday school before church, not during church. And so we would go 9 o'clock for Sunday school, which would go for an hour and a half. And then there'd be a half-hour break. And then the church service would start at 11 o'clock. And all us kids would be in church for the church service, which would go for another hour and a half. And so all the kids were there from 9 o'clock until after midday, well-behaved and listening. and, uh, And we could do it. Today, it's impossible to do because anything longer than 10 minutes and we, our concentration span loses. But that's the way we were taught back then. I think sometimes we just got to go back to some old-fashioned values of respect. Dad also respected the family. Family is a big thing, especially in Italian circles, respect, family, big, big issues, big things. And I can't ever remember my father looking at another woman. I can't ever, you know, never caught him looking at another woman. He just eyes for his wife, his wife only, respected his wife, respected his family. So he had, he had his own parents in Italy. And so he came to Australia as a migrant to work here. And he would always send money, always send money to his parents. And then when mum came, he would send money to her parents, so the in-laws. So he'd always be saving for himself and saving for his family, but also respecting the fact that in Italy there was family members that weren't quite as well off and he would send money. Um, respect all the people in his circle and, uh, and taught us to respect. And so we, we never ever called an adult by their first name. That was just, it was always Mr. and Mrs. That's the way that we were brought up. You show respect. Pastors were called pastors. We never, ever used their first name. Matter of fact, if we had um, people that were close to our family, they were called Uncle and Artie, even if they weren't Uncle and Artie, because respect was sewn in, respect for people. And Dad respected everyone. Didn't matter what race they were, didn't matter whether they were Italians, Australians, Greeks, Yugoslavs, whatever. And in those days, those big migrant communities in Australia, Dad respected everybody. And that's, that was instilled into me. And so for me now, it's so easy to respect people of all types and classes and colors because that was instilled into me. The other thing that Dad respected was authority. Dad never, ever broke the law. He always paid his taxes, always kept to the speed limit. Matter of fact, the odd time that he got booked for whatever, it was just, it was heartbreaking for him because it was like, oh no, I've done something really bad. I've done something really wrong because authority was really important to him and respecting authority. So I had that 
undergirded as part of my life. And can I just say to you, men, that one of the greatest things you can teach your children is respect. So they grow up in a land respecting people, respecting women, respecting children, respecting the elderly, respecting people, no matter what class, no matter what educational standard, no matter what, what uh, background they come from, respect is such an important word to teach people. Second thing that dad taught me was responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. For dad, he was the firstborn, so responsibility is part of the deal. He was one of seven children. And uh, how many firstborns have we got? Give me a wave if you're a firstborn. Uh, You know, I I find that with firstborns, responsibility is part of the package deal. You've got to look after your younger brothers and sisters at an early age, and so responsibility is important. But my dad kept that responsibility as a high quality in his life, all of his life. So he came to Australia when he was 26 in 1951, and... um, as a migrant in Australia in 1951, and he did it tough. Back in those days, they actually, to pay your, you know, 10 pound poms came later on. In 1951, you had to pay your way to migrate to Australia. Then what happened, if you didn't have the money to pay, then the Australian government would put the migrants into labour camps. And so it would take them two years of labour to pay off their way, their, their, uh, their, their coming to Australia. So, so it was like almost being a prisoner of war. And uh, there were these camps where these Italian migrants came and, and uh, they would be sent all over Australia to work. And so dad would work down in Victoria picking fruit when it was fruit harvest time. And when the fruit harvest was over, they'd, they'd ship them up to northern Queensland to cut sugarcane. And has, has anybody ever seen any movies of sugarcane cutting in the 50s? And uh, it was the worst job imaginable. He said to me, at the end of the day, the, the sugar would become so sticky on your hands that it would glue the machete to your hand. And when you would try to take the machete, the handle of the machete, it would rip the skin off and your hand would be red raw. And you'd be covered in soot and the sweat and the snakes that would come out. And it was just, just, it was just a, a hideous work. And, uh, but he did that because he was setting a foundation for, for his life. And so responsibility was part of it. While he was doing that and that suffering, send money across. Then when he started to get established, started to save, and um, my, my father never, ever bought anything on credit, ever. His whole attitude to life is, I'll only buy something when I've got the money. And so with the first house that he bought, he bought it cash. Cash is king. Italians love that. I know you Asians love me because when I talk like that, you think that's my culture right there. Huh? <laughs> Debt causes you to get the shakes. You know, we hate debt. It's like, you know, and so uh, matter of fact, not only did he buy his first house cash, he bought his second house cash as well. And so uh, then he had two houses. And, uh, you know, basically, as far as he was concerned, what an incredible thing that you get paid for the work that you do and you get good pay. Back in Italy, you'd work, but you wouldn't get anything out of it, just enough to feed yourself. And so what a great country Australia is, mate. Good country, Australia. Good country. And uh, 
So, um, so responsibility was a big... So what happened once he started to get established, his family wanted to come across. And so, uh, so my, my dad's name, incidentally, was Salvatore. Isn't that a great name? Salvatore. Everybody say Salvatore. Salvatore. Do you know what it means? It means saviour. My father's name was Saviour. We sang about it, Saviour. Uh, anyway, Salvatore. Uh, there you go. And so, so first relative to come across was his brother, Saverio. Second relative to come across was his sister, Teresina. Isn't that, that great Italian names? Do you know, my mother was telling me the other day, we went to visit my mum on Monday. She says, she says, do you know that when you were born, your father and I had an argument? And I said, over what, mum? Over your name. And I says, why? She says, your dad wanted to call you Pasquale. Come on. Come on. And I said, no, you can't call him Pasquale. We're in Australia now. <laughs> See, it was, it was an easy choice for my dad because his dad was Pasquale. And his grandfather was Salvatore. And his great-grandfather was Pasquale. And his great-great-grandfather was Salvatore. So it was destined 200 years ago that my name was going to be Pasquale. And so all of a sudden it was like, no, we're not going to call him Pasquale. What do you mean, not going to call him Pasquale? I thought this was sorted out 300 years ago. <laughs> no, we're going to call him. So mum said, we had an argument over it. <laughs> so I say, thanks, mum, for winning that argument. I don't know how many you won, but that was a good one. But now it probably might be trendy to call someone Pasquale. But, not, but let me tell you, growing up in Australia with Juliano and a surname was hard enough, let alone Pasquale. And then, then the middle name was going to be Domenico. Pasquale Domenico Giuliano. How many of you would have struggled with calling me Pastor Pasquale? <laughs> okay, just pay attention, okay? Enough of that. So he's bringing his family across. And, um, but so not only did he bring them across, when, when he brought them here, that actually live in our home until they got themselves sorted out. And so I can remember when Uncle Severio's family came. So he was married. And, um, and so he came first. And then he brought his wife and two kids. And his two kids, they were total rebels. It's the only way to describe them, man. They were just, hadn't been with the dad for ages in the back blocks of Italy. They were just wild. And, um, and so my sister and I, we, we're sedate little Christian kids. We had no idea that there was a world of maniacs out there. And so, so we, we, both of us had these little tricycles. My sister and I, we had these little tricycles. Can you picture me with fat little legs and shorts on a tricycle? Because Italian mamas want to feed their kids, you know. You look so skinny. You must be sick. Let's put food in him. Food, food. You know, anyway. So, uh, so we had these tricycles in pristine condition. Then all of a sudden, they started to fall apart. And we were wondering, what? these were in pristine condition. These cousins from Italy, at night when we were sleeping, would flog our little tricycles and race them down the street at a million miles an hour, and they fell apart very quickly. That's a sort of... Anyway, So and they would make noise. And I remember one day, my father was apologizing to the next-door neighbor for all the noise 
And the next door neighbor says, you're sorry, you're sorry. I'm the one that's sorry. I can't sleep any time of day because of all the noise. Anyway, that was the response. See, he took his responsibility seriously of looking after his family. And um, responsibility is something that is so important to instill, especially into our men. And and, And the two kingpins of responsibility that my father taught me is that a man provides and a man protects. So you want to be a responsible man, you have to provide and you have to protect. And you don't shirk responsibility. Responsibility is something that's incredibly important. So he taught me respect. He taught me responsibility. Third thing my father taught me was resistance, to resist. There was a, there's a powerful thing when you become a man of resistance. What, what are you talking about? What's this word? The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 7, to resist the devil and he will flee from you. To resist temptation, to resist sin. See, what, what, what happens in this world is that we've got men of low resistance rather than men of high resistance. And men of high resistance are men that have high integrity because you resist the temptation of selfishness. You resist the temptation of doing it for yourself. You resist the temptation of it's all about me. Dad, Dad was amazing, you know. He, um, he'd come home with his pay packet, and in those days, you got a pay packet. There was no transference of funds. You actually got cash in your pay packet. How many of you remember the days of getting cash in your pay packet? Some of you are saying, what's cash? What's, what, what is that? What is that? Cash. And so he'd get the pay packet unopened. He'd give it to my mum. And, and mum, she was the uh, administrator of all things financial at the Juliana fa- household. So, uh, so mum would open up the pay packet and she'd give dad pocket money. <laughs> Says, you've been a good boy. Here we go. <laughs> now, dad, dad happily did it because mum was able to pay all the bills and all that sort of stuff. He'd work and she'd have to go and pay it. And, uh, and so he'd, he'd get 20 bucks pocket money. You know, Dad never spent it. It's really funny. He used to put his pocket money, 20 buck notes, into Milo tins. And, and when he died, Mum said, John, what's, you've got to go into the roof cavity of the house. Why is that? Because Dad's stash is up there. And so I, I had to climb up into the roof cavities, and there's all these Milo tins full of $20 notes. That dad had stashed away rather than rather than buying things for himself. It was like, nah, nah, I, I, I'm the, the whole idea of selfishness wasn't there. It was all about others. It's all about helping others. He resisted that. You know, he taught us this thing, you gotta help others. And and again, you know, when the migrants came to Australia, they didn't have much, but they had each other. And so you depended upon your mates. And so what would happen is this, if your mate was, uh, was, was laying a, um, a concrete driveway, well, Italians, they, they know how to do concrete when they come out of the womb. <laughs> mate, we're concreters from birth. You know, our, our, our national motto is we came, we saw, we concreted. <laughs> huh? That's the way it is, you know. So we know how to concrete, no problems at all. And so, and so the deal is always mama puts on a 
big, big pot of spaghetti, and uh, and after we've worked hard, we eat hard. And uh, and uh, but you know, I can still remember as a little kid going and helping dad with his mates, digging up, doing the concreting, not you know, just whatever we could do, we did it. So 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 that was part of the way we grew up. Matter of fact. One of my gifts was the gift of translation. You know, how, how many of you know that in 1 Corinthians 13, it's one of the gifts of the Spirit? Well, I could translate from English into Italian and then from Italian into English when I was just young. I was bilingual when I was a little kid. And so Morelli's would use me as a 10-year-old as their translator. So they'd go see the solicitor. They'd grab little Johnny along, and I'd go with my little shorts and fat little legs, and, and, uh, and I'd sit there and say, yeah, what do you want to say? And I, this is what they want. What do you want to say to them? And I'd translate for I was the translator because that was part of the thing. You would help others. You wouldn't complain about it. It was like, no, you, this is part of our culture. And you know what? How many of you can see that what my dad taught us is now in the culture of our church? What's the culture of our church? We love God, we love people, we help others. It's part of our culture, it's part of our nature. We help others. So he would he he'd resist quitting. There was always, you know, this whole thing of I'm committed. I'm committed. And and what an incredible thing it is to have commitment because you resist the quitting thing. So dad was always dependable. So there was always a line of relatives and friends that would come to get dad's advice. Why is that? Because he was dependable. He was consistent. He'd never quit it. He would resist quitting. And so there was a dependability that's built into that sort of personality. And, uh, and, and that, he passed that on to me. Do you know what? And I'm passing it on to you. And I want all the men of our church to know this, that you can send the kids to school to learn their reading, writing, and arithmetic. But it's at home that they learn respect, responsibility, and resistance. They see you just wishy-washy. Just, just, there's, no, there's no resistance to anything. There's a temptation, the fast buck temptation. Yeah, I'm into that. Where's, where's men of integrity are men of resistance. They resist the temptations that are just flowing out there, left, right, and center. And they're men that are dependable because they have high resistance. Hey, can I just say to you that not everybody here has had a role model father, but all of us have a father in Father God. And let, let me just share with you just some of the revelations of Father God just in the last 10 minutes before I close up. Because Jesus introduces Father God in a way that had never been introduced in the Bible before. So, so 15 times in the Old Testament, 15 times in the Old Testament, there's a reference to God being the father of the nation to being a father figure only 15 times in the whole Old Testament, 39 books of the Old Testament. There's only 15 references that, that connect God to anything to do with father. But Jesus comes in and he teaches them, hey, listen, when you pray, this is how I want you to start praying. What are the first two words? Our father. That, that whole concept of God the father was foreign to the people in Jesus' day. Jesus came to reveal the Father heart of God. It, it was just a brand new revelation. It was like, hang on here. We know God is creator. We know God is sovereign. We know God is powerful. We know God is, is almighty. But God is Father? That's, that's, that's a pretty difficult concept. And yet what you find is in the Gospels, 
Over 160 times, Jesus refers to God as Father. And so we have the Lord's Prayer, our Father. We have the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 1. Father, the hour has come. See how often he refers to God as Father. The prayer in Gethsemane. Who can forget the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before the, the crucifixion? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, Father, if it be thy will, take this cup away from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so, and so this whole concept of Father is pursued by the Apostle Paul. And so when we come into the Pauline epistles, Paul talks about Father God being Abba Father. And so in, in Romans chapter 8, God's introduced as Abba. Now, now again, you know, this whole concept of Abba is, is just an incredibly amazing concept because the best translation that we have of Abba, is dad. Not father, but dad. How many of you know that there's just another progress from going from father to dad or daddy? And I can remember the first time that Anne heard the word Abba in normal speech. We were on a flight. We're catching a plane in Israel. A little Jewish kid gets on and he wants to talk to his dad on the other side of the plane and he's yelling out, Abba, Abba. And he goes, He's using a Bible word. And I said, well, yeah, it's a Jewish word. It's daddy. He's saying daddy and it's even used to this day. The whole concept of God being daddy for some people is just so foreign and so far away. But when God becomes your father, it's it's not just a one-way street. It's a two-way street. And when we see the two-way street, we see the reciprocation of relationship. It's so beautiful. It's not just me calling God Father, but then Him calling me son or daughter. That's, that's very powerful. And, there, and we see it in the life of Jesus. We see two times where the audible voice of God was heard. Wow. Audible voice of God. Not, I mean, I, I hear... God's voice in my heart, but I've never heard the audible voice of God. But two times in the New Testament, the audible voice of God was heard by those around Jesus. The first time the audible voice of God was heard was at Jesus' baptism. And at Jesus' baptism, the audible voice of God was heard. Who can tell me what the audible voice of God said at the baptism of Jesus? This is not just my son, but my beloved son. And then what's the next phrase? In whom I am well pleased. How powerful is that? Not just this is my beloved son, but I'm proud of you. Wow. How many of you know for a lot of people, they've never heard a father say, I'm proud of you. But he's God saying it. I'm proud of you. Then the the second time there's an audible voice of God is at the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus gets transfigured. You can read this in Matthew 17. And, uh, And again, the voice of God is heard in an audible voice. This is my beloved son, again, it's repeated, in whom I'm well pleased, hear him. And, and he's, he's God affirming. I love that. The affirmation of the father's love. Friends, all I'm saying to you is this. Number one, you need to find the father's love. Number two, you need to find the father's acceptance. And number three, you need to find the father's affirmation. When you find the father's love, the father's acceptance, the father's affirmation, Something happens to you where 
things settle in your life. Too many people are searching for significance because they've never been affirmed by a father. And men, can I just say to you that your relationship to your kids is so powerful because it's what you say that makes them secure. If you tell your kids that you love them and you're proud of them, it makes them feel secure. If they don't hear those words, I love you and I'm proud of you, they're insecure. And that insecurity causes them to chase all sorts of things. And, uh, and, and they're, they're on a constant search for affirmation because they need it from their dads. And I'm, I'm telling you, for some of you, you never heard that from, your, from your, your, your folks. And some of you that come from an Asian background, some of you have never heard that. I mean, uh, I'm training some of my Asian brothers to say I love you to their kids and to their wife. And I'm training some of you to hug your family. And I, I give you a big hug and I can feel you sort of squeezing out. But I'm, I'm just persisting. And you laugh at my persistence. But I'm training you. I'm teaching you to have a bigger heart. Because, because some of you never had a father that hugged you or spoke words of affirmation into your life. And you come to this church, and part of my deal is I want to train you. I want, I, want it, I want that to be a legacy. Pastor John taught me to love. What an incredible legacy that would be. Let me finish. Lee, you can come up. I, I think for me, probably one of the most beautiful illustrations of the Father God in the whole New Testament is found in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And there's this, there's this one verse in Luke chapter 15 that it moves me. It moves me deeply because it just gives this picture of Father God. And uh, you, know, you, you all know the story of the prodigal son and the background of the son's disobedience and the rebellion and the mess that he made of his life. You know, he knew best, but at the end of the day, he realized, man, what I thought was best has just messed up my life. And so, you know the story, he's, he's lost everything. He's lost the inheritance. He's squandered it all. He finds himself in a pig pen, just covered in pig muck. And he just comes to his senses, the Bible says. He comes to his senses. He finally wakes up that he's made a big mistake walking away from the Father. And, and what happens is this, is that if you can picture it, he's, he's there away from Father. And all of a sudden he says, even the servants in my father's house, even the servants do better than I'm doing. I, I, I'm just blown it so bad. I'm not even worthy to be a son anymore. I'm just happy to be a servant. And so what happens is that he takes the first step. Wow. The first step. It's, it's, it's a delicate step. It's a step that wonders, will I find acceptance? Will I find rejection? I don't know what I'll find, but I've got to make a step. I've just got to change where I'm in. I've just got to head towards the Father. I was in the house, but I walked away. My life's a mess. I need to go back, even just to get a little bit. And this is what happens. I love this. This is so powerful because this gives a revelation of the Father's heart. But when he was still a long way off, when he was still a long way off, He'd just taken a step. He had just taken a step. He was still a long way from home, but he'd taken that step. This is what the Bible says. The father 
saw him. Wow, the father saw that first step. The father was waiting for that first step. See, a lot of us, we've got this picture of God. Man, I've got to take a lot of steps. I've got to grovel on my knees. I, I, I've just got to, on my belly, just crawl with, 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 with just so much remorse and sorrow. No, he just took one step. The father saw him. And then get hold of this. When the father saw him, he had compassion. Not rejection, but compassion. Can you get this? That when you take a step towards God wondering, will he accept me? He's going to be moved with compassion. And then we get this picture. He's still a long way off. He's not even at the house yet. Hasn't even knocked at the door yet. The father's running towards him. What? This guy's just taken one step. Just one step. Still a long way off. And here's the father taking many steps towards him. And when they finally meet, I love this, falls on his neck and kisses him. Just acceptance. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. That's the God that we love. That's the God that we worship. There are so many people out there that have got no concept of Father God. This is the concept that I want to give to you. A God of love. A God of compassion. A God of grace. A God of mercy. A God that sees you taking a step and will run towards you to fulfill that, con- that connection and that relationship. That's the God that's out to bless you. And that's the God that's inviting you to come home. And if you're away from God today, he's saying, come home, come home, because there's love and acceptance in my arms. So let's bow our heads for Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.